Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi. Welcome to Remote Control, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with Benicio Del Toro, Ben Stiller, Paul Dano, and Patricia Arquette about their new Showtime limited series, Escape at Danamora. Stay tuned. So, as I understand, Ben, you have always had an interest in doing a project set in a prison. You've always wanted to go to prison. Um, you know, I, I enjoy the genre of the prison escape movie. Um, uh, I I never thought that I'd actually make one, make, make a, a TV show or a movie about an escape. But um, there was something about this story that I found really compelling, just the reality of it, the idea of how these guys actually did this and... 2015, how you escape from a prison, the sort of nuts and bolts aspect of that, and really the uh, relationships that they had to develop uh, within the prison to be able to get to the point where they were cutting their way out through this uh, steel pipe uh, in the basement of the prison. So that that all of the elements that contributed to it actually happening in this day and age were really interesting to me, and uh, that's that's why I think I was drawn to it. The more I learned about it, the more specifics I heard, the more interesting it was. You do a great job in the seven-part limited series of establishing the worlds, the, the, the multiple worlds that these characters exist in. And one is the very specific prison ecosystem, which we've seen in many movies and TV shows, TV shows over the year years, but it's always compelling in the sense of the idea that there is, you know, kind of these are these are people that are that are being incarcerated. They're being punished, but they're also in this very dangerous situation. They're locked up, but there's no there's certainly a lot of danger within that world. And what Dana Moore does so well is is show just how incestuous the relationships between the guards and the sort of the the civilians that work in the prison. And the and the inmates themselves, and I, I'm sure that was a lot of the human drama that attracted that was. I'm sure that was a lot of the human drama that was an appeal to you to take on this project. Yeah, I think the relationships uh, that develop between the uh, prisoners and the corrections officers uh, are part of what contributed to the escape, uh, and that's also just part of the uh, reality of being in prison. And when you go to Clinton Correctional and you see the environment, uh, you see how old the prison is, you see uh, how long people have been working there, generationally corrections officers uh, in their families, their, their fathers and mothers and grandfathers have been working there. So it's uh, it's really a place that, that got very set in its ways, and that's one of the reasons why the escape was able to happen. But those relationships that happen are human relationships that happen uh, in any situation, just in a prison, it's a very um, uh, 
you know, specific environment where people are going to act like humans do uh, no matter what. So uh, that's really, I think, uh, uh, an interesting aspect of what the story is about is how people form relationships even uh, when there are barriers, physical barriers and other barriers that are are, going to get in the way, but people find a way to connect and uh, people have needs and... um, people are people no matter where you are so you know it was a chance to look at that I guess you know in this form with having more than a couple of hours to kind of get into uh, a little more in depth into to, to those aspects of uh, the story that contributed to the actual escape what happened in a nutshell what happened it was in 2015 and two inmates had it turned out had planned for many months they'd literally you know done done the digging their way out um connecting with prison uh, prison officials who helped smuggle them in the implements, the tools that they needed to, to stage this dramatic breakout. There was a manhunt for almost two weeks, if I'm not it mistaken. It was three, about three and a half weeks. Three and a half yeah. weeks, a manhunt that made national headlines. And as I understand, your first spark of this, the, the first spark for you of this is potentially being turned into a TV series happened almost while it was still going on. Uh, well, for Brett Johnson and Michael Tolkien, uh, who uh, wrote the scripts, uh, they they got the idea when it was happening. I was actually out of the country when it was happening, so I, I, um, I was working on a project in Italy. So I, when I came back, I heard about it. But they got the idea when it was happening, and uh, and then they approached me later, uh, a few months later, maybe about six months after, uh, with when they had written um, a couple of scripts. And uh, but you know, it was anybody who saw the story unfolding, I think. It, it, there was just so much potential there because uh, it, it just seemed so unreal. The, the fact that uh, these two inmates were having a relationship separately with a civilian worker who ran the tailor shop in the prison where they both worked, uh, making uniforms for this company that the prison runs. And uh, they would go in the back room and um, have some form of sex and intimacy um, different accounts of what actually happened back there and um, she uh, her name was Joyce Mitchell developed uh, a very uh, intense relationship with one of them where they started uh, passing notes between each other uh, this was David Sweat who was much younger she was 51 he was about I think 35 and um, he got kicked out of the tailor shop because someone suspected they were having improper relations and then Richard Matt who was uh both of these guys were killers. Richard Matt uh, was cell neighbors with David Sweat. He continued the relationship with Joyce Mitchell, began passing notes between the two of them, uh, from David to Joyce, and then he also started having sexual relations with Joyce also, and they realized that they could get her to help them uh, escape by smuggling in tools for them to use to cut out of their cells. Again, it, ju- it, you know, it practically writes itself. It also is, I mean, three amazing performances from Benicio Del Toro as Richard Matt, one of the inmates, uh, Paul Dano as David Sweat, the, the younger of the two escapees, mm-hmm. and Patricia Arquette, who just floors in the role of Joyce, although she's known as Tilly right. Mitchell. She, although she's not entirely sympathetic, she does. she's such a good actress. She just breaks your heart in this woman who is unhappy in her life and unhappy in her marriages and sees a power dynamic here that she where she can have some control 
it's just an amazing performance. Yeah, I think she uh, really inhabited the character, as they say. I think she um, was very curious about what uh, drove Tilly to do what she did, and what you know whether. And I don't think Patricia ever made a judgment as to whether she was a good or a bad person. Um, she was definitely a manipulative person who also got manipulated because Richard Matt was very manipulative, as was David Sweat, um, which most prisoners who want to escape are. Um, but uh, Patricia really, um, I think, was interested in why someone does something like this and looking at her environment, her marriage. She uh, was married to and is married to uh, Lyle Mitchell, who worked in the prison uh, very close to her and uh, she um, was a grandmother and she was uh, doing improper things in the tailor shop. She was the only civilian in this tailor shop with about 40 or 45 uh, inmates and one corrections officer and uh, I think there was a power dynamic that she felt there being the only woman in a room with these you know these 45 prisoners uh, that she uh, abused, and uh, it gave her ego, I think, some sort of gratification. Um, and I think also, as you said, I think she had a desire to for a better life, and um, you know, she had a tough life. She worked at a couple of different jobs, uh, but uh, it's really hard to figure out what her, you know, what as a character, she's very interesting. I think because it's you can't really quite tell, you know, because she's manipulating and is being manipulated and has, uh, I think, the desire anybody would have to want to kind of get out of that situation that she was living in. Um, it's kind of hard to pinpoint who she is and, and to call her good or bad. It's a, re- it's a really meaty role. Tell us about how Benicio and Paul and Patricia came to, the, came to inhabit those roles. Uh, well, um, I mean, Patricia, Patricia was the first person we went to and was with the project for the longest period of time. And... Uh, Benicio and, and Paul were they were all pretty much first choices for the roles um, uh, and when we brought them the material we hadn't written all the scripts uh, but I think Benicio was really interested in it be- because of the aspect of um, Richard Matt being an artist also a painter uh, he was a, a very talented painter in addition to being um, a cold-blooded killer he uh, murdered a- at least two people um, and uh, pretty brutally, but he also had this other side to him that was uh, artistic, and I think Benicio was interested in that dichotomy, um, and also the fact that he uh, was very uh, adept at surviving in prison, and uh, he was his nickname was Hacksaw. Um, you know, he was feared. He was uh, also um, uh, pretty congenial to most people in the prison. Uh, when he talked to David Sweat. Uh, about the time they were on the run. He has very fond memories of being on the run with Richard Matt. I think he considered him a friend. Mm -hmm. Richard Matt taught him how to paint also. Uh, And I think Paul was, uh, you know, interested in this character of David Sweat because he was a guy who was also a killer. He killed a police officer uh, when he was caught stealing some guns with some other teenagers. I think he was about 21 or, or so. Uh, and a police officer came across them in, in New York State in a parking lot at, on the night of 4th of July, um, and this is in 2002, and the police officer just came upon him, and, and he shot him 15 times and ran him over with a car. 
uh, and his uh, other two friends then shot him again, and he was killed. Um, but you know, I, I would call him more of an impulse killer, uh, while uh, Richard Matt was probably more of a um, a cold blooded killer. But uh, I think Paul was interested in the idea of this guy David Sweat, who was not a, really a tough guy, who had then went to you know prison for life, but had to create a persona in prison to protect himself. So he had built himself up, he lifted weights, um, and felt like he was always in danger because he was known as a cop killer in prison. So he had a real motivation to get out. And I think that, you know, there's a certain um, sensitivity that Paul has, but in this role he puts on this sort of tough exterior. And we got a chance to meet David Sweat, Benicio and Paul and I, and, and Patricia also. So we went up there and talked to him. And I think for Paul, that was a real key to getting a sense of what he was like as a character. Because in terms of his ability to actually break out of the prison, he had, he had an, uh, an amazing ability as, as an engineering-wise and being able to use tools and, and a sense of direction to figure out how to get to the outer wall of the prison every night going down there between 11 p.m. and 4 a.m., sneaking around and within six months was out. It sh- you know, the way you, d- and the, the, the sh- series really depicts Richard Matt's artistic ability. It even shows him being, you know, he's, he's so well regarded that even the prison guards want, commission him to do drawings of their girlfriends. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting aspect. And same thing with, with Sweat. Like, these are, these are men who had skills, and you kind of look at the situation, you think if they had been channeled in different directions, these guys could have, you know, could have been very sort of productive members of society instead of behind bars. It's, it's inherently a yeah. compelling yeah. You know, discussion of like what, what went wrong with these characters. Yeah, I mean, they, they both were uh, guys who were institutionalized for most of their lives, so I think uh, that affected them. Um, uh, I, I think, yeah, David Sweat probably could have gone a different way because um, he, he did have that kind of talent. Um, not not even artistically more with just with his hands and what he could do uh, I, you know but it's you know a bigger question i think of you know uh what the pri- what the prison system does to people I, I i don't blame the prison system for turning these guys into killers but they spent most of their lives incarcerated and um you know when you go into that environment you see what it's like it's really depressing it's really stressful you know you talk about uh prison world being dangerous it's dangerous for sure, but what you feel when you're in there the most is just the stress. Um, and a uh, prisoner who I talked to uh, said that, you know, it's kind of like a low-level, um, you know, uh, adrenaline drip is what he said. And he, he told this to Paul and I, just basically you're always feeling that. You're always feeling like the sense of something could happen. You've got to be on the lookout all the time. And nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden, violence breaks out. Yeah. And then it's over. Um, and that's really scary. I mean, that's scarier, I think, than anything. Just the the idea that it could happen at any time and that you're never really safe. And that's felt on both sides by the prisoners and the corrections officers. And this sort of just overwhelming sense of, um, you know, just darkness being in, in a place like that where these guys are, you know, going to be in there for the most of them for a long, long time. Um, and... Uh, you know that's that's part of I think the, uh, the the flavor of the show is trying to show that environment and because I think the environment of that prison itself uh, while it, it contributes to it contributes to everything in the story the fact that it's so old the fact that it's so oppressive uh, the the desire to get out of a place like that 
um, and you know just the the whole uh, working situation. The fact that I don't I never knew that prisoners went to work like that, where they you know in a in a state run prison. You know I've learned a little bit about private run prisons, mm-hmm. but in state-run prisons, there's an actual there's an actual corporation, Corecraft, that makes uniforms for other prisoners and for corrections officers. That is a for-profit company that right. is workers are working between thirty-five cents and sixty-five cents an hour. Um, I mean, it's really you know slave labor wages, um, and it's it's you know these civilian workers who go in there are overseeing production uh, and and you know, having to make quotas and and uh, somehow motivate these prisoners. A workforce of murderers and rapists. Yeah, who and have their own agenda, which is probably n- has nothing to do yeah. with, you know, making sure Corecraft is profitable. Um, so that that puts the civilian workers in a tough situation. And, it, and just as in the real-life situation, you also really capture, you know, this prison is in a small town. The prison is a major economic engine for the town. Yeah. People, as you said, have worked there for decades, so there's a lot of potential for abuse and corruption there. But you also really capture, it's a small town up near the Canadian border, it's cold. It snows about six months out of the year, and and just living in that They just had their first snow a couple of days ago, my friend up there told me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, we we had rain here, they had their first snow. Yeah, Yeah. just first couple feet, nobody even blinks. They call it Little Siberia. The prison up there. I mean, that's you know that just the, the the feeling up there. It's very isolated, um, and the prison itself dominates the town. The prison's bigger than the town. Yeah. The town of Dannemora is only a few blocks around it, and really, it's uh, Joyce Mitchell and uh, Lyle Mitchell would have to drive from Malone, New York, to Dannemora to work every day, which is about an hour and ten minute drive one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would work at other prisons, uh, which a place called Upstate. And uh, two other prisons in that area within, like, I'd say, like a 80-mile radius. And that's the main economy up there, for sure. So, um, you know, a lot of these, as I said, a lot of these workers are, are working multiple jobs and uh, different prisons. And, and just, you know, it's, it's not an easy life. That in and of itself is a really sad it's just it's just kind of a sad commentary, sadly, on the on the, yeah, the and economic state of some of these small towns where a prison can be, you know, yeah, I mean, a, it's a big engine. Yeah, it's sad, but it's also I, I think it was an intentional uh, thing that happened um, years ago that uh, uh, some state politician worked to get uh, the prison in, in prisons built up there to help the economy because a lot of these mill towns were. Uh, losing business as, as you know as the economy changed so they were trying to re- you know to, to fix it right. and, uh, and right. that was an answer for them so really for those people that's you know that's their opportunity up there um, uh, Clinton has been there for I think a hundred and the Clinton Correctional Facility where they where the yeah. escape happened that's been there for about like 130 years or something in, in some one form or another and you got access um, you went straight to the top of New York State to get access to you did some filming in the Clinton Correctional Facility. Yes, yeah, the uh, New York Department of Corrections. Uh, at first, we, we weren't really getting anywhere, and uh, eventually, we got a meeting with uh, Governor Cuomo, and uh, and he opened it up to us about six weeks before uh, filming, which was really for us was a huge thing because otherwise, we never would have been able to film and uh, even film the outside. I think of the real prison, it would have been too tough and. Uh, we were able to film on the North Yard, which is this uh, incredible uh, piece of geography that's in the northwest corner of the prison. 
that's unlike any prison yard I've ever seen. It's on a slope. It's on the side of a mountain overlooking the Adirondacks, so it has this incredible view uh, of the mountains, uh, and it's divided into these little courts. That this is again, it's been there for about a hundred years. It started out as a softball field. Um, they used to have prisoner civilian softball games there until one day a, a riot broke out and they took oh, hostages geez. about seventy or eighty years ago. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, it has an incredible history, um, and people like Lucky Luciano uh, were inmates there, and he helped build a church that's in the prison that's incredible, a beautiful church that it's a national landmark, but nobody can get to it because it's in the middle of the prison. Um, so this place is just, it's huge. And the North Yard uh, has these little courts that uh, prisoners uh, can sign up for. And in the summer, they can do gardening and they can cook food and um, trade things. It also happens to be the most dangerous place in the prison. Uh, it's yeah. where uh, the most violence happens because there's about three to 400 prisoners who will go out at a time uh, and maybe five to six corrections officers uh, that are patrolling the area. Yeah, so that's a, that's it's, a high ratio. Yeah, and so it's kind of on the honor system pretty much, but you're in your own world there. And uh, uh, for us to be able to film on the North Yard uh, where Sweat and Matt actually had their court and uh, you know talked about escaping because you can look out and you can see um, the smokestack of the power plant, which was where the um, tunnel led at, uh, that they came out of and the manhole that they came out of on the way to the uh, power plant, they could see that from the North Yard. So I think, you know, it was very important to the, for the geography of the whole uh, story to have that, uh, to be able to film there. They could see, they could go out on the yard and see what they, saw, what they, what they thought was freedom. Yeah, well, yeah. more. I mean, it's, it, it's impossible not to feel that when you go out on that yard because you're just surrounded by beauty. Mm. And even the walls of the prison sort of drop down below you because you're on a slope. So it almost feels like you could just fly away, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, I would imagine as um, an inmate there, it's got to be a, a, just a very conflicting feeling to see that, you know, see that beauty and to be stuck in there. And also to know you're in the most dangerous part of the prison. Right. Um, did uh, Governor Cuomo comment at all? You have cast Michael Imperioli yeah. uh, to play the governor, who is a is a character in the in the piece because of mm. the manhut. He he did a lot of press conferences and kept people updated. Um, did Cuomo yeah. comment on uh, Imperioli? Is um, I think Michael and the governor talked uh, when we cast Michael. I think he wanted to talk to him, and um, I think they um, they had uh, a couple of discussions. But I, I think he was okay with it. Um, but I never talked to him personally about it. I, I think Michael did a great job, though. Uh, and, you know, the the governor came up the day of the escape and uh, immediately toured the cells, the catwalks, and went down to the tunnels and went down to the pipe where they cut cut themselves out to see what happened. And he um, he took a video crew there and photographers. And for us, that became our main reference uh, footage really for building sets and for having a, a sense of what everything looked like because we no, we never would have had a chance to see what all that was. But I think he went up there because he felt when I talked to him about it that he, he felt it was very important in, in a situation like that, you know, to get up there immediately to be able to talk to people because people got it was really scary for people in the area for the next three and a half weeks. Right, these two murderers on the run in this very remote area um it was the largest most expensive manhunt in new york state history uh and 
you know, people were just frightened for their lives, you know, rightfully. These guys were out in, in the mountains. They were staying in uh, hunter's cabins. Ironically, a, a lot of them owned by corrections officers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for that period of time, uh, you know, no, nobody uh, felt safe. Yeah, it was very, it was very da- seemingly dangerous for the community. Um, Escape at Dannemora is a departure for you as a director from things that you know from things that you've done in the past. Was that something that you purposefully sought something that was less in the comedic vein and much more of a thriller and a very kind of a hard-boiled drama? Yeah, I mean, I think over the years I've been wanting to do different kinds of things, especially as a director, uh, and um, this just found its way to me. Uh, the timing was really good in terms of. Uh, I had just finished Zoolander two, and um, I was definitely ready for to, for a change. <laughs> um, you know, I, I was. Uh, I, it took a while to put this together, even though it's. I mean, the escape only happened three years ago in June, but and it, we were working on it for a long time. But the year or so, the first year or so of putting it together was, you know, finding a home for it, finding a cast, getting the scripts written figuring out how to do it we had a year of, of research but for for me the timing just worked out uh and um I, i'm really grateful that it kind of came together the way it did but you know this kind of um story and i i didn't know what the tone would be i, I thought it might be a little bit more comedic maybe in the beginning uh, and then as i spent more time at the prison and with the story it just sort of the tone sort of developed into what it was I think there's still there's some humor in there, but it's definitely it's not um, it's definitely not a comedy. And but I feel like you know for me this the the vibe of the of the show is this sort of um, hopefully like this realism that comes out of um, you know just the characters being who they are. And there's like I said earlier, there's no kind of good or bad guys except we know that Matt and Sweat are murderers and. But they're also these people that are our protagonists. So, for most of the show, you're kind of you know I think you just inherently root for the uh, the people escaping because you want you know you're just interested in seeing them get out. But at a certain point, you have to have, have a sense of who they are, and uh, that was you know that sort of conflict of like, well, are we rooting for these guys who are you know actually bad people? Um, is that is that right? Uh, you know, is Tilly good or bad? She seems like she's pretty manipulative and. But yet, I could understand if I was in her situation, wanting to, you know, do what she did. But that still doesn't make it okay. So, that tone to mm-hmm. me sort of reminded me of a lot of movies uh, that I watched growing up uh, in the '70s. You know, that had kind of these conflicted characters that the uh, filmmakers didn't worry about defining and saying, "Oh, this is a good guy or a bad guy." They just showed them as people. Um, you know, movies like Dog Day Afternoon, or uh, you know, like what Dustin Hoffman did in Straight Time. Right. Uh, right. Those those movies really resonated with me, and or um, movies like Taking a Pelham One Two Three, uh, that just actually had a lot of humor in it, uh, but was kind of this cool uh, New York you know cop movie. Too. Matthau and his eyebrows, just, yeah, just <laughs> fill in the frame. Absolutely, it's a, great, it's a great movie. Um, what would you say in the in the directing of this? And you know, you you directed all eight, all seven parts. Right. What was there one episode, one scene? Was there one thing that was most challenging for you to pull off? 
whether logistically well, or emotionally? I mean, I think in approaching it, even you had to shoot it like it, it was all one sh- shoot. It, it was all one shoot. It was a long shoot. But each um, episode is its own story. So I think that was like one of the most challenging things was just to be able to kind of go back and forth between different episodes and make sure that we were each episode had its own uh, identity. And I, f- I feel like episode five for us was the one that really had the most specific identity because that was the, the day that they escaped. It's sort of uh, you know, the 24-hour period that uh, between when David Sweat first got to the manhole because he got to the manhole the night before the escape. He got, he got through the pipe, got up to the manhole, op- you know, p- pushed it open, stuck his head out, looked around, and then went back into to jail. <laughs> it sounds like a cartoon, but I know it's yeah. real. It's absolutely real. Um, because he uh, you know, had a plan. They had a plan. They were going to meet mm-hmm. uh, Tilly the next night. She was going to have a car there waiting for them at midnight and so and he was going to bring Richard Matt with him but he could have he could have left that night and just gone uh and I asked him about that and he said uh if he if he had done that he probably just would have stolen a motorcycle or something and and he probably would have gotten pretty far um but uh we wanted to show that period of time from when he came out of the manhole the night before to when they actually got out and um we decided to sort of try to keep to keep the tension going uh have these uh, a lot of continuous shots and um, the first the first scene of the episode is taking him from his cell all the way through the entire route of uh, his escape to coming out of the manhole and so that was probably like, the, mo- the most challenging um, scene to do because mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, about 17 different parts that we shot over the course of the eight month shoot literally from the beginning when we shot him coming out of the actual manhole in September of uh, uh, 2017 I guess and then we, the ending we shot probably and that was the last part of the shot and then the last piece of the shot that we shot was probably in March of 2018 so yeah so keeping just the continuity for, for everybody and that was pretty challenging and again for you that's quite a personal commitment to this project to directing this project yeah I mean I think you know you talk about directing um, you know directors directing all the episodes of a series um one of the things that it's just it's sort of if you want to do that you the way that you shoot it you you kind of have to do it unless you're going to shoot the series in order in other words you have to shoot it like a movie we we had to shoot everything in the cell block right um for every scene from episodes one through um five really when they when they escape so we 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 didn't have the luxury if if we did if we had different directors of saying okay we're going to shoot the scenes from episode one in the cell block and then you know finish episode one and go back to we just had that set for that amount of time so you have to approach it like a big movie shoot right uh, otherwise you can't it's either you're it's either you can do you're all in or you're not all in so that's just the necessity of of uh, how to shoot something like this if if you're going to direct all the episodes um, or if you want to have one more than if you want to have more than one director i don't even know how you would do it if you're not shooting in as episodes like a series right so right. it's um that that's a, a little bit of a challenge but uh to me the most important thing was to try to have every episode feel like its own little m- movie in that it had beginning middle and an end and because the whole thing is not you know it, it, you can't look at the whole thing as as a long giant movie because it's you know 
then it's like Showa or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. That, that was the challenge of building both of those elements and maintaining the tension and the... Yeah, and, and I, I didn't, and I didn't think, you know, because it was Showtime, I wasn't thinking about like a, a series that everybody would watch uh, in one sitting, you know, um, though obviously you can do that once it's, once it's out, but this is going to be on every week, so I felt like the key was you wanted to, people to want to tune in the next week, so hopefully ended in a way that left people wanting to see what happened next. So now that you're getting ready to launch the series mm-hmm. on November 18th, um, I know you're still working on the, the finishing touches, but uh, do you, are you at the point of deciding what your next, what's next on your horizon, what your next project is? Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do next. Honestly, I um, have been on this thing for a long time. It's been a commitment. Uh, it's been a, an amazing experience. Uh, I think I want to take a little bit of time uh, off to not be in pre-production or production on anything because that kind of just it becomes all-encompassing. And uh, we have a few uh, other projects at Red Hour, my production company, that are interesting. Uh, but really, I'm kind of I'm kind of free after this, which I'm really looking forward to. Well, in this amazing moment for content and opportunity to develop shows and put things on the air, I have no doubt that you will that you will stay idle for very long. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Ben. All right, thanks. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and I'm here with the stars of Escape at Danamora. Hi, guys, how you doing? Good. Thank you so much for joining Hello. me. <laughs> so, uh, first, I just want to know why you wanted to sign off for this part, Patricia. Do you want to start? Uh, I just thought it was a a really interesting character. And I wanted to explore some of these things that I think this material gave me a chance to look at. A middle-aged woman, her sexuality, following her desire, being unapologetically a sexual person. These aren't things we really, as actresses, get to explore. And we don't really talk about much in society. That and... You know, all these complicated dynamics, I think, were interesting. It was very well written, and I love Ben. Great. And then oh. they, these guys came on, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite the cast. Paul, what about for you? Um, honestly, I think I had just spent a large chunk of time doing something that was quite uh, restrained. And I remember reading it and you know, the first script and thinking, like, prison break, sex, and, like, you know, the, you know it's something, honestly, like a physical energy that, you know, sometimes where you are in life leads to the next thing, and so something to do with that was the initial thing that sounded fun, um, and also I didn't know the story that well, so it was definitely a feeling on the first read of, like, well, I, you know, I definitely want to know what's going to happen here, what happens next, how this happened, the behavior, this petri dish of prison-like stuff. It, you know, I guess it 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 seemed uh, exciting and adventuresome. I don't think I realized how hard it was going to be, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you see what about you? Um, well, the, uh, Ben Stiller, the, the being there to direct uh, all four episodes... I think that uh, 
that was a, a real cool thing. Uh, all the eight episodes. Um, also, the um, the script, the way it was written, and um, the the angle on the script, because I think is the the escape of the the action part of the movie is different, but I had kind of like I've seen it. But what I haven't seen is a prison movie with this, um, or I, I, I call it like a four-way twisted love story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and with, with Patricia kept right there in the middle. Um, and I thought that was like, just so like uh, unique. And then the relationship, uh, the, the relationship between Paul's character and my character also is unique. And so it's, it's, it's like a prison it's like a, an action movie, but it's got all these other dimensions that that are, that were really unique, almost like you you don't usually see in the, those kind of movies. And 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 um, so that that was that was where, where I thought that, that and the writing was excellent. So not, not hitting on the obvious, and so um, and and how 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 it builds is just like subtle. Um, and it really felt like I was reading an eight-hour movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if we're going to put it all together, it feels mm-hmm. more like a movie than it, nothing is really on the nose. I mean, it's certainly you know an elevation for a TV show to see a project like this. Is that something that appealed to you? I mean, I know you guys have done TV before in different ways, but this is sort of a step above. Well, I haven't seen the whole show, <laughs> uh, so I hope you're right. But 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 I've seen a couple of episodes, and I I don't know what's out there that much. But Paul and I were talking about it. It it does have this feeling that it's a movie, and it's one of those. It reminds me of those old like '70s movies. There's something about you know Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman or 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 even uh, Papillon or something mm. like um uh th- there's something about this movie that is very uh, the, uh you know very 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 much movie like uh, what I've seen yeah and i think the sense having one hand behind it is like a really important element I think even for us creatively on set, right? But like I think for the audience as well, having been direct the whole thing, you know, whether it's TV or more like a movie or whatever, but I feel that sense of authorship behind it, which is important to me as a viewer as well. It makes me feel like I'm watching something unique. You, you know, somebody is taking me through something, um, and that's fun. And, and that's not usually the case with TV. Oftentimes in TV, it's like the showrunner and the creator establish the visual language of the piece. Oftentimes as an actor, someone comes in to shoot episode 23, and they don't really know your character's backstory or what you just shot the last three episodes. And there's an intimacy that comes with this and a total level of commitment that I, I do think is also really important. How did you guys even begin to get into character? I mean, obviously there are some interesting characters that you're playing. What kind of research did you do? I just, like, waited outside of prison, got a few guys that got out, <laughs> took them to a hotel. Mm. <laughs> just kidding. That's why you're so good. <laughs> I gotta take that tip right there. I gotta do that. Did you do a lot of research into the real story? They gave us a lot sure. of research material, like, 
Luckily, Ben, you know, is completely meticulous, and, you know, I'm sure we all got the access to this stuff, but what the production team had, the resources, you know, that was really great. I mean, I'm sure we all did our own thing as well, but they had a tremendous amount of material available for us from the Inspector General reports to the news articles to just photography of everything locate you know mm-hmm. uh, so there was a certainly a comprehensive database for us to dive in to get what we needed and then meeting people and blah 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 and you know the whole thing yeah and being working actually shooting in the prison with people who knew them talking to them about that having guys on our set that w- were prisoners in the sewing room I mean they really gave us a lot we met with sweat Well, if you remember when we went to visit Clinton Correctional the first time, walking through the tailor shops where the COs were like, okay, we're going to get through here, quit, we're going to stay in one line, we're not going to stop, we're kind of going to go through, you know, the it was a very intense energy to watch, to, to just be around inmates who I'm sure some of them they're all human beings, but, you know, as somebody who's not been in prison before, to be in a room where there's 13-inch shears out and all the machines, the saws, the things, you know, they're built, they're, they're at work, and the way the COs treated it was like, okay, we have to be careful. And I mean, it was very intense to go to prison. It really uh, was. I couldn't wait to get out every day, and I was so grateful to not be on either side of the prison, frankly. Sure, yeah. I didn't want to be a prisoner, and I didn't want to work there, right? And I also felt like, obviously, we need to deal with this prison situation. Um, It's got to be dealt with in a whole new way. Do you think that's the message of the project, in dealing with the prison population and the issues that it brings up? I don't think there's a message of this. I mean, you put a bunch of people in an incubator or a Petri dish. Or in this room. In this goddamn hot room. (laughs) And, you know, you have love, you have need, you have desperation, you have cunning, you have all these different things, and everyone has different agendas. And, you know, who are the bad guys in this? I don't know. There's all, you know, I guess the only innocent person is Lyle, really. (laughs) And you could could also... uh, seeing see him and almost say, "What's wrong with you? Snap yeah. out of it!" Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not working. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. uh, but he's—they're all glutton for punishment in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But I think that I also I, I agree with what you're saying and what Paul was saying. I, also, I do also feel that a lot of these people that end up there, or the characters that we played, and I'm speaking about Matt, um, they're, they're broken souls. From the from the beginning, they didn't have a mother, a father. They didn't have a home. They grew up from foster home to foster home. Uh, no direction. No sense of uh, actions have consequences. Um, where fear and lies and cruelty is the way to survive. Uh, so the the system, the, the prison system, is off. But there's there's the, the problem goes before the prison system, mm-hmm. and that that's also something to address. It's like there's 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 kids out there in foster homes, and are they getting the tools or the care or the mm. that that I think that um that that I think 
especially and I, I would even say your character as well also they're they're broken they're broken they're emotionally broken people i think she's the only one who's not a criminal in the sense of the of of the word i, I mean unlike uh, the character that paul and i play we actually they commit murder mm-hmm. um and that's like the, the, by the time they did that and a character's uh, paul's character did it in what how old was your character when he did it like 19 he went to jail the first time 16 and then prison at like 19 or 21 or something yeah so so by that time it's almost like a lost cause but what happened in those prior years my character i'm sure he did something i don't think he killed someone until a little bit later but he was in his 20s and he he got away too but still it's like the, the problem i think goes before uh then then by the time they get to prison it's almost like it's almost too late in these cases there's different crimes you know there's there's, there's people that are in in these kind of jails for something really silly yeah like selling marijuana mm-hmm. that's that's like that should not be i mean mm-hmm. that to, to me i felt i didn't do anything and i'm in this prison yeah and i was ready to bust out shooting i'm shooting a movie but i felt like i want to leave already and i haven't done anything why am i here right mm-hmm. and i'm sure there's people in there who feel like that i just I was just driving around with some drugs trying to make an extra buck or whatever and now I got to do three years in jail that's not right but that's another topic and I don't know anything about it anyway so (laughs) and um, Paul you mentioned that this project was particularly hard to film what was the hardest part of it for you? dealing with me (laughs) 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 no I think I mean look again the first read for me it's kind of fun like the characters what's happening there's a sensationalism to it there's a but I really like one stepping into prison and then day after day you know especially when we shot like the honor block the tailor shop like I felt those were hard spaces to be in and I know we're just actors and I, I know we weren't in prison and I I hate when people are like oh, like we made a war film it was like we were in fucking war like whatever we weren't in prison but mm-hmm. like that shit was bleak mm-hmm. and the cages made me feel like a, you know like so to, to to the real experience holy you know heck I can't really imagine and it, it just it, never done a shoot that long and considering the circumstances of the characters I just think it was hard a hard space to be for that long mm-hmm. Patricia you agree? Yeah I do I mean when we were visiting prisons or when we were shooting in these prisons it was just like everyone's in this goddamn prison whether you're a guard or you're a prisoner it's like it's just really an awful thing it's just an awful pressure cooker and uh, just as a human being you felt so much lighter when you got to leave but also the environment around there these are prison towns so it extends beyond the prison it also becomes like the overlay of the town and the color of the town and everyone who works there and doesn't work there and there's not much else to do so people are having affairs and this guard's having an affair with this other person and these other things are happening it's it's also a like desolation of joy that extends beyond the prison and that was heavy to live with really and the weather was very hard so sort of that whole dynamic 
It's like scorched earth all around. Well, unfortunately, we've got to end it there. Congratulations. I'm looking forward to seeing more. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with Katrina Balfe about the star's drama Outlander. And if you like this show, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know, too, who you'd want to hear from. What stars and producers should we invite on the show? Email us at podcasts at variety.com. See you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.